the beginning of a new year is kind of exciting, isn't it? It makes you anticipate new things and good things. Kind of a casting off of the old, let's bring on the new, right? We, so we make resolutions and we make commitments for our personal growth because we know if we're going to become more like Christ, we do need to make some changes in our lives. So we do these resolutions and we do commitments. I'm going to do this better. I'm going to do that better. And those are all good things. And we do it in the church as well. We make resolutions too. We say, well, we're going to reach our community and we're going to grow our attendance by 20%. And we're going to grow our small groups. We want more people in our small groups. And we're going to do children's ministry. It's going to grow. In our youth group, we're going to make that bigger too. And we start the year with so much excitement. And then we get to the end of the year. And we look around and we say, well, what happened? What happened? We had great music. Our worship was good. Our preaching was good. Our children's programming was great. We have great teachers. We did activities where we invited the community in. What happened? Why didn't it work? Sometimes in the church, what we do is we try to impress people instead of impact people. People like to be impressed. That's what our society is built on. It's all about entertainment. It's all about, well, if it makes me feel good, then it must be good. But the problem is that people don't stay impressed. When the novelty wears off, they'll move on to the next best thing. And so what happens in our churches is we impress people for a little while, but then when it wears off, then they get bored. And then they'll go to another church that will impress them and entertain them. When you impress people, they just feel good for a little while. But in the church, what we need to do is we need to be impactful. Because when you impact somebody, you change their life forever. And that's how Jesus did it. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he made an impact on the lives of those that he came in contact with. He made a real difference in the people. He didn't just entertain them. Jesus thought outside the box. That's how he did ministry. He was radical. He turned the religious establishment of his time completely upside down. There was nothing common or traditional about Jesus and his ministry. He chose tax collectors and fishermen as his disciples. His first miracle is still controversial to this day because he turned water into wine. The Baptists are still arguing about that one. But that was what he did. He did it radical. He did it different. He thought outside the box. He was so unorthodox that the religious leaders hated him for it. They wanted to kill him because he was different and because he did it differently. And because he was making an impact and they weren't. What they were doing, the religious leaders were just focused on being impressive. They were focused on what they could do, on their performance. Hey, look at me. Look what I can do for you. Jesus didn't do that. 
What Jesus did was say, look at God. Look what God can do for you. And that was the difference. Jesus wasn't about being impressive. Even when people in the villages he visited were looking for miracles, he said, no, I'm not going to do this miracle for you because you just want to be impressed. He only did the miracles to make an impact, to change lives. He didn't do anything that God didn't tell him to do. When, when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders in John 5, 19, he said, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. See, Jesus came to restore our relationship with the Father. And in his three and a half years of ministry, he was all about impact. Never about impressing. Jim Lyon, who's the director of the Church of God out of Anderson, Indiana, over the last couple of years, he's made the focus of the movement reclaim. It's one word, reclaim. We have to reclaim what hell has stolen from us. His vision is for local churches to reclaim their communities for Christ. But we can only do that if we're looking to make an impact. Because if we're only looking to be impressive, we're going to lose them. Because they may come through the doors, but the minute that they lose interest, they're gone. But if we can make an impact, if we can show them that God has purpose for them, if we can show them God working in their lives, then we'll change them forever. And then they'll stay, they'll stick around. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So where do we start? Where do we start as a church? What does it look like? Well, let me start with a question. Have you ever felt unappreciated? Have you ever felt like what you were doing, all the efforts you were putting into something just weren't, it just wasn't making a difference? Maybe you find yourself in a situation right now where you're ready to give up. You say, you know what, I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore. See, when we start to focus on what we can do and what we are doing, we get tired. That's when we get worn out. Then we find ourselves very limited. We find ourselves in this box that we made for ourselves, and we can't get back out. Well, the Israelites felt that way too. And so what the Lord did was he sent a prophet named Zechariah to them to deliver a message of encouragement, to deliver a message designed to motivate them, keep moving forward, keep going, keep looking ahead so that they could see the hand of God in their circumstances. In our text this morning, see, the Israelites have spent years in Babylon, in captivity. And King Cyrus has just set them free. He said, you can, you're free, go home to Jerusalem. And so they go back, but their city is devastated. Their city is in ruins. And so they have to rebuild it from the bottom up. And so Zechariah, in this vision, he sees a man who's coming, and he says, I'm going to measure the city of Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. Now that seems to make sense. 
If you're going to build something, you want to start logically. You're going to measure it. That makes sense. But this young man is interrupted. Run, tell that young man that Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. I will be its glory within. In biblical times, walls were crucial for cities. It was their only protection for the evil that was beyond their walls, for the people that were trying to come in and take over. Walls kept people safe and secure and comfortable. They were strong and they were definitive. They set boundaries. Walls keep it familiar for us. There's no risk with walls. And the walls were leaving the builders of the temple to feel strong in their power. Look what we did. The towers, the walls that we built are protecting the city. And the Lord's saying, oh, no, that's not true. I'm the one that's your protection. I'm the one that you need to trust in. Stop trusting in your own ability. Because our trust in God goes against everything that we like to think about ourselves. I can do it myself. I'm self-reliant. I don't need, Lord, to do it. I can do it myself. And the Lord's saying, no, you can't. I'm the protection for you. You don't need walls of protection. I am your protection. But we build, ball, we build those walls in our lives, too. We build those walls in our churches. But when we do that, we stay stuck in our boxes behind our walls, and we limit our thinking. We limit our vision. Even more so, we limit the work of God. We limit his ability to protect us and to provide for us and prevail for us. But our God is limitless. He doesn't live in boxes. He lives outside the walls. He loves us without limits. But we like to stay behind our walls. We refuse to think outside those four walls of our box. And we prevent God from showing up in our circumstances. We prevent him from showing up to just show us how awesome he is. Zechariah sees this man with a measuring stick, and we do it today. We take our measuring sticks. We measure everything in our lives against our sensibilities. We measure against what we know and what makes logical sense to us. And if it doesn't make sense, we, we put up the wall. See, we're okay when things work out the way we expected them to. And we're okay when we still feel safe and secure. And we're okay when things don't disrupt what's familiar to us. But God's ways are not our ways. And as long as we continue to measure everything in our lives and in our church against what we want, against what we expect, what makes us feel good and safe and secure... As long as we do that, we're limiting God. And we're limiting what we allow him to do in us and through us, in our personal lives and in the church. When we live our lives behind walls, when we're safely tucked away in our comfort zones, avoiding all the risks out there, 
because it might be different. We're placing limits on God to do exceedingly and abundantly more than he's promised us. We look at our lives, we look at our churches, and we say, why isn't God working? Well, because you're not allowing him to work. That's why you need to open it up. See with his vision. Take down the walls that are clouding your vision and your eyes and say, Lord, what is your vision? What do you want? But the minute that we do that, what we end up doing is making excuses. Oh, but that's not the way I do it. That's not the way we do it. That's not the way I want it done because that's not the way we did it before. That's putting limits on God. That's not saying, God, do your will. What's your will? Because when you get on your knees and you say, Lord, what is your will? Then you will take whatever he throws your way, even if you don't like it, because it's not about you liking it. It's not about me liking it. It's about his will. And that's what it's about. But we keep behind our walls. We keep putting up these walls. We do it in all these things in our lives. Why don't we believe without measure in our God? We measure everything, and it's detrimental to our life of faith. We need to put away our measuring sticks. Know that the Lord is our refuge, that God is God, and all things are possible in him. God tells the Israelites that he's the glory within. It's a picture of God at the very center of the Israelite people. They don't need walls to keep them together. With the Lord at the center, he'll draw them together. He's the cord that's binding them all as one. And if we want to lead lives of impact, if we want to lead lives of abundance, it's Jesus who needs to be at the center and Jesus who needs to be in control. As much as our walls protect us by keeping others out, that safety comes at a price. Those walls keep us in. It keeps us in bondage. We think we're safe. We're thinking we're protected. We're actually in bondage to ourselves. God says, you don't need those walls. I'm here. Let me in. He offers us an invitation to trust him. He invites us to tear down those walls in our lives and in our church. Zechariah is seeing a life of faith. That's what this vision is about. It's the same message that Jesus talked about on the Sermon of the Mount when he said, look at the birds of the sky. They don't plant, they don't harvest. And yet, God provides for them. Aren't you more valuable than those birds? Why do you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you have such small faith? We want to understand why things aren't working out. We want to know why we struggle with the same things over and over and over. And it's because we don't leave our boxes. We look over to God with a measuring stick, and we limit him. We want to tell him what he's allowed to do in our lives and in our churches. We put limits on him because we're afraid. We put limits on him because of our pride. We think we can do it ourselves. Or maybe it's just that we don't understand the power of our God. Maybe we don't understand the 
sovereignty in the power that he has for us. In our text this morning, in verses 6 and 7, the Lord's calling out to the Israelites. He says, come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven. Come, Zion, escape you who live in daughter Babylon. The Lord is making a plea to the Israelites to flee Babylon. See, they've been set free from captivity, but not all of them left. Only a small handful of those that were captive in Babylon actually returned to Jerusalem. The majority of them stayed in Babylon. Even though they had been set free, they stayed because it was safe and because it was comfortable and because they didn't trust God and they didn't trust his promises. But the Lord is saying, don't you see? I've come to set you free. That's why he sent Jesus, to set us free. I have something better for you. I have something better for you. But you have to allow me to do the work. We still do that today. You know, there are plenty of Christians out there that use Jesus as a get-out-of-hell card. You know what, Lord? Yes, I don't want to spend eternity in hell. You are my Lord and Savior. But that's where it stops, Lord. I don't want you to tell me what to do. This is my life. It happens. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were stuck in Babylon. They didn't want to leave. It was comfortable. We maintain our connection with the world and say, Jesus, you're good to get me out of hell, but that's as far as it goes with me, Lord. You stay over there. This is my life. But that can't work in the church. It can't work in our lives. Verse 10 said, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. When we tear down those walls and we recognize the power of God in our lives, we're invited into his presence. The creator of the universe invites us into his presence. Wow. When Moses went up to the mountain and he received the Ten Commandments, he was in the presence of God. And when he came down, he had to shield, he had a veil on his face because everybody could have seen that he had been with the Lord because his face was aglow. When you're in the presence of the Lord, everybody around you should know it. Because when you're in the presence of the Lord, the first thing you're going to have is peace. Isaiah 33, 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When you're in the presence of the Lord, you will have peace. When you're in the presence of the Lord, you're going to have joy. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. In your presence, there will be joy. In the presence of God, we experience thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2 says, let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. You know, as followers of Christ, we're called to bear witness to the miraculous power of God the one who does everything and can do 
anything he wants. That's how you make an impact. Because if you're in the presence of the Lord, the people out there are going to see it. And they're just going to be drawn to you, drawn to your body of believers. That's impact. That's not impressive. That's impactful. The Lord was telling the Israelites, and he tells each of us here today, tear down your walls. Tear down the walls of human reasoning, of practicality, of sensibility. Trust in my power to deliver you. Take the limits off of me to accomplish what I can and will do through you and in your church. We need to stop picking up our measuring sticks. We need to stop determining the limit of God's work in our lives and in our church. We pray for God to act. We pray for his will. And then when he responds, we complain because we don't like it because it calls us out of our box. You know, I had an experience a couple of weeks ago. My son was having his wisdom teeth pulled. And I knew I'd be in the waiting room for a couple hours. And so I thought, okay, this is a great time for me to study. So I packed up my bag of all my books and my reading material. And I knew I was preparing for a sermon. So I said, I've got to study. I was, this is a great time for me to study. So I get to the waiting room. They call my son back. And, and I'm pulling out my books. And I'm reading and reading. And then I see the waiting room. There's another waiting room door. And a, a woman looks in. She's looking. And she walks in. And she, there are many chairs in this waiting room. But she plops down right next to me. And she was a talker. She just talked and talked and talked. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I know I prayed this morning for your will in my life. I know I prayed this morning to guide my steps and guide my path. But this wasn't part of my plan. I was here to study. Why is this woman talking to me? And he just, Kristen, seriously, are you going to talk to me that way? Did you not hear what your prayer was this morning? Oh, yeah, right. I do remember that. So I listened, and I listened, and I listened. And this woman, she just wanted someone to listen to. That's all she needed. She needed someone that she could just vent to. And honestly, she saw me. She saw the pink hair. Because that's why I keep my pink hair. Because it opens doors up with people. They feel comfortable to talk to me. And then I can start to tell them about Jesus. Because if I just look, if I look like a pastor, then people stay away from me. But if I look like this, and sometimes I even wear my leather jacket, I wear my leather boots, and that's when the people are drawn to me. They say, I can talk to you because I can tell you my life story, and they're not gonna, you're not going to judge me. That's impact. That's what impact is. That's not impressive. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I want to make an impact in the lives of every person that Jesus brings down my path. And that's what I did with this woman. Even though I fought it at first, but God smacked me upside the head and said, what are you thinking? My will is for you to sit here and listen to her. And I want you to pray with her. And then I invited her to church. So I'm hoping that she comes. Because she lives in Hollywood. But that's how our God works. But we just put our blinders on and we put our walls up and we say, Lord, I will only do what I want to do. I don't want to look at what your vision is. And God's saying, well, then, then do it yourself. If that's what you want, then you do it. I know you're going to come back to me eventually because you'll see that my way is better. We just have to learn to tear down those walls 
that keep our vision on human realities. Because God has divine possibilities. We've got to tear down those walls. Because our God is able to do more than we could ever, ever imagine. But we need to stop measuring against our standards. And we need to stop thinking, we need to stop measuring with what our likes and dislikes, our preferences, our expectations, and look to Him. Think outside the box of limitations. Be a church without walls. Be a saint without walls. Let God work. Let God move. Holy, Holy Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Our story, Lord, is your story. As we leave this place this morning, I pray that we leave encouraged. I pray for every believer in this room. I pray that they know you. I pray that they trust in you. I pray that they have the courage to tear down the walls they're building in their lives. I pray that they have the strength to stand firm and look to you for vision and look to you for your direction in their lives and in their church. Because you have a plan, Father. You always have a plan. Sometimes we just don't see it. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I, I ask a blessing upon everyone in here as we go our separate ways. May we shine our light for Jesus. May we shine our light of truth and joy and peace. May we be impactful as we leave this place. In Jesus' precious and holy name.